Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. Billy John Marcos here. Hello, hello. How are you? Sorry, I'm not in in the um, studio, but I see you've taken much air. It's it's very nice. I, do people go on the floor normally when you're here? We well, usually sometimes. we usually have a little uh, a couch by the side there, or would would it be accurate to call it a bonquette? I would call it a sofa. Yeah, sofa, just on the side there for our guest. But since Billy's away, you've uh, you've taken it. And it's Billy, a lovely chair. Billy's in your city, and you're in Billy's city. So amazing. Uh, yeah. What are you doing there? Um, basically hanging out and watching shows and really, really sweating a oh. lot. Um, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. It's really hot here just now. Were you here l- lately? Oh, yeah. What are you doing it's in Los Angeles? Oh, I'm doing some uh, stand-up comedy, taking some oh. meetings. Uh, okay. Very LA. Very LA. Yeah. Did they love you? Have you? Have you? Did they think you're hot? I like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just did. Not a, like sexy. Sure, but I think that helps if they think that as well. Well, yeah. Billy and I talk about this thing all the time. The difference between a a kind of casting audition meeting thing in the United States as opposed to Britain is in the United States everyone loves you. So you'll get out of the meeting and you'll call your agent and say, yeah, it went pretty well. Uh, I look forward to hearing what they say. And, and your agent says, all right, cool, cool, I'll find out. And then they'll call back and say, they loved you. <laughs> they, they think you are fantastic. You're like, oh, great. Yeah. You didn't get the part. Sure. Whereas in Britain, it's more along the lines of, there's a real kind of blunt transparency of, you know, they went, they went in a different direction or it wasn't, wasn't really for them or they're just much more frank and brutal. I'm not sure which one I prefer at this point, Bills. Yeah, I don't know, because it's nice when people say they like you, even if they don't. It's just <laughs> nice to hear that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. you get um, used to this, like, slightly, um, s- to be honest, slightly disingenuous kind of vibe in the business that everyone yeah. loves you, because they can't all love you, you know? Sure. We're all, we're both bullshitting. I'm taking a lot of these where they say, you know, your, what are your movie ideas, your TV ideas, and... You know, I got I got one line, and I just go, "Oh, it's about family." And they go, "Ooh, interesting! Oh, like Can't wait Diesel. to see that pitch." And I go back home and go, "Oh shit! Right. Got to flush this out." That supposedly is the Vin Diesel, the recent um, Fast and the Furious film, which I've not seen. I've only I only saw the first Fast and the Furious film. I'm not a big. You're way behind. I'm There's not a big, 26 now. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a big car person. That me doesn't, neither. Doesn't do anything for me. But supposedly in the recent Fast and the Furious film, the whole thing is about family. We gotta protect the family. It's all about and the do, family. Does he? Does he? Does he protect them I by going fast? I don't. He goes fast. Supposedly they drive. I don't know if this is true, but I think they drive a car so fast that it goes yeah. into outer space. I think in one so. Of the films. I think so. I mean, Billy loves outer space, but driving a car into outer space—surely the windows would crack. Surely. If somebody asked me, 
if I was in a meeting um, and they said to me, what is your pitch for a movie? I'd say, how about a car that goes so fast it goes back to the future? Oh, mm. brilliant. What a brilliant name for a film. That, could, that could be the title of the film as well, Billy. Back it could be. To the future. To the future. Wow. Just in a really fast car. That's great. I see that's opening as a musical over here now as well. Is it? Gianmarco, <laughs> is that how you pronounce your name? That's perfect. Thank you very much. Tell me about New York City. Oh, I, I was, I've been there for a while. I, uh, I grew up in Maryland, went up there a lot as a kid. I lived in Harlem ah. for a long time. Oh, nice. Harlem. Uh, right. Which uh, you know, Harlem. It's a it's it's a historically black neighborhood. I lived across uh-huh. the new Whole Foods on Malcolm X Boulevard, which is what nice. he would have wanted, I'm sure. And uh, yes. I was there for a good good eight years, and now I live on the Lower East Side. Oh, I lived in the Lower East Side for a little really? bit. I lived just near the Williamsburg Bridge. I'm right by there. Oh, really? What were the cross streets? Oh my goodness! It was like over ten years ago. Um, I don't know, but when I when I would come out of my flat, if I turned directly right, it was like the walkway to the Williams. Delancey, Bridges. yeah, Delancey. That's exactly where I was. We might live kind quite of close on the border of Little Italy, right? Sure, I'm at Clinton and Rivington, which is right by the Delancey stop. So Delancey was definitely the main street there, mm-hmm. and then I don't know the cross street, but God, I love New York City. Billy's heard this story a million times, but one of my favorite ever live music moments was I was doing this film um, and we finished kind of late or, or at least it felt late because yeah. it, was, it was winter time in New York and it gets dark at like four o'clock, you know? Yeah. And it got dropped off a few blocks away from my house because I wanted to walk because I love walking in New York and it's freezing, like bitterly cold and I was not wearing appropriate clothing and I walked past this very small, very packed bar and I thought, I'll jump in here, warm up, have a quick kind of nightcap, and then head home. But I was like, why is this bar so full? And the bar was completely full because there was a guy on stage, on this tiny little stage, playing this tiny little miniature piano. And I couldn't leave. Uh, like I was going to go and have one drink. I ended up having two or three. Met the guy afterwards. He's called Chris Garneau, an amazing singer-songwriter but playing on a tiny miniature piano about this big. And he has this like real high falsetto voice. Billy and Billy's wife absolutely loved him when I introduced him. And that was just one of the moments, you know, those beautiful moments in New York, you walk in, you kind of get slightly lost, suddenly you turn a corner and you're like, oh, that looks interesting. And you go in and Uh uh love it. New York's great. Oh, yeah. Well, give give Billy a recommendation of what you should do tonight. I guess go to Katz's Deli. If you want like a nice Jewish meal, like it's a, yeah. a Reuben sandwich, some matzo ball soup, where they'll, they'll yeah. treat you kind of roughly. They're a little gruff. You better know what you want when you get to the front of that line. They don't put up with any kind of shit. That's a good New York it. meal. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'll maybe do that. Is that on the Lower East as well? Lower East side, yeah. It's not not too far from, from yeah. where we were at. Well, I took my mom and dad there when they came to stay with me because it's almost, from where I was, I seem to remember... Was it? Would you be crossing that big Delancey Street, and it's kind of yeah, it's just a right. little bit, little bit north of that Delancey Street. Yeah, couple blocks. Oh my God, Billy, the sandwiches are like this. It's amazing. Right. Go do that. Go go to the Comedy Cellar. That's my home club. You want to see some stand up? Go check that out. But you won't be there. So what's the point? Yeah, I know. Exactly. I know. They should just shut it down while I'm here. So 
They should actually. And so tell us about how, how often do you play there? It depends how they're feeling about me. I mean, it is it is pretty volatile as a stand-up comedian. You just give your avails and you <laughs> hope the big celebrities are... That's the problem with stand-up here in L.A. is you try to get the major clubs here and the lineup is movie stars. Right, right. So people got to... There's got a long line. Dane Cook's got to be sick if, for me to get right. up. Right. At the Laugh Factory. And they, they tell you they've got a spot for you and you're ready to go. And then suddenly Chris Rock walks in to try something out and they're like, sorry. Yeah. Okay, That's ha- that happens to me at the cellar, though. Chris Rock was running some stuff before his big tour. And uh, sometimes they keep you there. They'll, they'll just extend the show, make it a two and a half hour show. Brilliant. But sometimes you get bumped. And, and that's just how it goes in stand-up. Now, as, as someone representing the stand-up comedian sect, and this might have been overly done a little bit by now, but how did you feel about the, the slap heard around the world? I mean, it's bad. I haven't heard too many takes, many pro, <laughs> pro slap. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's bad. It was more just shocking the lack of, I guess they assume it wouldn't happen. Most comedy clubs don't have security. You just think the Oscars would. But, but, uh, but you also, know, who's going to stop yeah. Will Smith from going up on stage? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not a good look. Yeah. Uh, I, every comedian, we deal with clubs where there's just no security at all. The security is there to enforce the bill being paid, not me being protected. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had, I had one audience member after a show. This was not the comedy cellar, which has pretty great security, but. It's it's called LOL. <laughs> I keep naming it. I should be careful. But uh, someone was mad at me, and they were really getting in my face. And the security guard, instead of getting in between them, shoved the check near his hand to make sure that he signed for the bill before he punched you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it happened. And do you remember specifically what the joke or the subject was that got on their nerves? They were heckling. I'm sure something political. If you're, this was like a, a if you, you've been to Times, Times Square, this is the kind of show that they bark at people. They call barkers yelling at people to come see the show. So these are people who did right, not yeah. know they were seeing a comedy show that night. Oh, these are right. people who couldn't get tickets to Wicked and are right. wasted. Yeah. And they just found out their drinks cost $25 for a Heineken. And I think mm. I said something to him. It's not a, uh, uh, I think something, um, <laughs> Oh, what's what's the actor? Uh, he was a firefighter. He's a real firefighter. Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Something about he looked like Steve Buscemi on meth, which already we're starting with Steve Buscemi. Yeah. And then were, we're adding meth. Yeah. This was a rough look. Yeah. And uh, they were mad about that. I didn't do it unsolicited, though. They they were they were heckling. They were heckling. Oh, for sure. And you have to shut down a heckler, right? Yeah, it can be fun if you have a heckler where like you shut them down and then they stop. That's cool. Yeah. That's ideal. But sometimes you have uh, a lot of bachelorette parties. That's the most dangerous. Uh, yeah. A white woman in a plastic tiara. Right. That's going to be the roughest. And all her friends kind of going, you go, Elaine, you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, if you ask them to be escorted out, you got to be, you got to be, as a comedian, you got to be cool. You got to be kind of funny. Take it all in stride. The moment you kick someone out, you're a principal. You're authority. You're supposed to be making fun of authority. Mm. So... I, I did a casino recently where, where there was a bachelorette party and the code with the casino is you're supposed to say, oh, yeah, you look like you could use some water. And that's the code for them to come over yeah. there and take them out. Yeah, them and out. no one did anything. Mm. So I, I was like, they really could use some water. Mm. Cup of waters for this lady here. Mm. And then nothing happened. Mm. At the end, they said, oh, well, it looked like you were handling them pretty well. And I was like, 
well, that's that's my job. Right. Did you want me to, to fall into a ball, start crying? And then you go, oh, I think he needs some help. So it's a tricky balance. They rarely kick people out of comedy clubs. You got to really be mm -hmm. pushing it. Hey, Tom, when you're running a business, it's difficult sometimes. You mm. try to make everybody happy. Mm. You try to make a nice place for everyone to work. And it's not always easy. Take, for instance, somebody keeps coming to work and they absolutely stink. Oh, no. I mean, what do you do? Yeah. I tell you what you do. You better talk to Bambi. Yes, with Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat. So onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, feedback, all that kind of stuff. Dumb. HR managers can easily cost you 80 grand a year. Is that right? Yeah. But Bambi starts at $99 a month. That's fantastic. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now and type in Onion under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com. Bambi.com. Type in onion. Bambi matches you with your very own dedicated HR manager that you can easily reach by phone, chat, or email. Bambi's dedicated HR managers will know your business and your specific concerns. HR issues can kill you. One complaint against your company can turn your world upside down. You spend too much time dealing with HR when you should be spending your time on making a profit. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Hey, Dom, you know sometimes you can get stuck on a problem and you can't find a solution because you're too busy looking at the problem. Mm. You're just going into a spiral, Dom. Mm. And uh, sometimes you just need some help to get out of that. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in, in your life. Mm. But when you learn how to find your own solution, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small. Mm. And also, as we know, therapy can be a little intimate. You can feel a little vulnerable going through the process. But the fantastic thing about BetterHelp is it can all happen online. So you don't even need to have a face-to-face -face conversation with a therapist if you don't need to. You can do it via phone. You can do it in your own way. And, you know, the intimate allows people to go through therapy without feeling so vulnerable about the experience. Yeah, exactly. So if you're thinking about doing therapy, I would say BetterHelp is a great option. I agree. Because it's so convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash onion today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash onion. It's strange, right? Because as actors, you know, Billy and I have been exploring doing a play for a couple of years now, and at some point, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, we'll do that. But as actors, if Billy and I were on stage together doing a play and someone in the audience even attempted to heckle... Sure. It wouldn't even be something that Billy and I would have to do. Someone working for the theatre would come over and say, please don't talk, and if you 
talk anymore, you will be escorted out. But in a comedy club, sometimes people think they're part of the show. More and more. And I think the problem is comedians these days, we really get our following off posting clips and a lot of people's clips because they might not want to burn their material online. We'll post these uh, encounters with hecklers and they can be fun. Uh But then everyone gets conditioned to think, oh, that's what the show is. So people come to shows and they'll say, hey, it's my, you know, it's my mom's 80th birthday. Can you really roast her? Make her cry Mm. on this, the Mm. day of her birthday. But I started, I started, I mean, I'm a theater kid originally. So like, it's, it's always amazing when I think Patti LuPone, she's had a couple moments where she's, she, she'll break out of the play to deal with what's going on. She yelled at someone for taking pictures. And I think the, it, the person ended up being with the New York Times and they had been allowed to take pictures, but no one told oh, Patty. Oh, that's not good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Patty suffers no fools. Yeah. I, yeah, I did, I, did a, I did a TV thing with her and on the car coming back from set one time, it was like a little money, uh, minivan and she started singing show songs. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I was like, I was asking the driver just to drive around for a while and we could just listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. What amazing. kind of play? You're going to do a play? Yeah, we, we, Not, we're thinking oh, about it. Um, I guess it's slightly under wraps because we're still trying to figure it out. But Billy is, you know, shh, shh Billy, shut your face. Billy is in the center of the of the theater district in the United States. So mm. he's he's kind of you know, doing a little bit of groundwork for us. And, you know, we're, we're talking to different places here and different places in London. It's weird. I mean, I started out same as you, and, and I'm sure same as Billy, started out doing plays. That was how I realized I really wanted to be an actor, was doing plays and sure. doing years of plays at school and then outside of school and then at college. And not only is it when it's when it's cracking off, my favorite medium to work in, but it is certainly my friend's favorite way to watch me work and my parents' favorite way to watch me work. But I've not done a play since I was twenty two. Mm. So like twenty tw- almost twenty-five years ago. Um I struggle with I, I right when I switched kind of to stand-up comedy, I had a play that I wrote. And it was just me and one other person. And I, I started going crazy. It was, it was my first, like, month-long run, eight shows a week. Yeah. And I, I wanted to do new things so badly. I got bored. Uh, I can't... People who do... God, people who do... You know, I've been Phantom of the Opera for 15 years. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. I can't imagine. I'd rather be broke. <laughs> that is, that is yeah. tough. Yeah, you hope that maybe you can find something in there. It might not be every night, but maybe, you know... During the week, you're like, oh, there was a couple of times where I, I tried this, it was working, or I'm going to use that tomorrow night and stuff, but I can understand the repetition. What about, I always feel like, late night talk show hosts. Sure. You know, that medium of 15 or 20 years of monologue, guest, second guest, musical act, say goodbye, and it just goes on and on. That feels really tough to do. It's deal with. tough, and I feel like, especially comedians... You're, it's just the quality goes down because of course it does. I mean, you're barely making, you're getting there and you're finding out your cues, let right. alone writing comedy. Right, right. So I don't know. It doesn't, it seems like a thankless job. Yeah. I'm trying to get Billy to watch the Larry Sanders show, which is my all-time mm. favorite TV show. And uh, I, just to, to watch 
I mean, I think Shandling is a very underrated actor. Like, he's really great at that role. But to watch him go from, you know, kind of an interested, engaged, you know, he's not always excited, but sometimes excited talk show host, to getting threatened by the network and threatened by Jon Stewart and threatened, you know, annoyed by his, like, Hank and, and stuff like that. And then to watch him just kind of crumble, you know, and just yeah. get to a point where he's like... Show's over. And then who am I when the show's over? Yeah. You know, it's a brilliant He loves show. acting. Gary Shandling, if you watch all the documentaries, I think because he struggled with it more than comedy, he had like a, a real respect for acting as opposed to like someone like Seinfeld who really seemed to have a real resentment for the, the entire art form in general. Seinfeld's an unbelievable stand-up comic. In fact, I've been looking into, he's doing a, he's doing a nationwide tour and I've been looking into when he comes to LA because I want to get tickets and see him in LA. Maybe, Billy, you can be my date if I get us a couple of tickets. That would be fun, right? That would go. Yes, um, why not? But, yeah, Jerry Seinfeld can't really act, but Shanling, I think, is excellent. Yeah. Uh, him, Rick Torn, and Jeffrey Tambor. Whew, that combination. Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Um, so how 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 did it all start for you then, Gianmarco? If you you're saying that you were a theater kid, was I mean, that I, in New York. I, yeah, I went to college for musical theater, oh, and then right. I then they, they kind of beat the joy out of. I don't think I was a singer. <laughs> I don't. I really. I've only been booked to sing these days at my grandparents' funerals. So it's it's that, so that only, only four times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a bummer. It's it's. I'm a good reminder. There's things worse. Limited than run. Um, it's uh, so I loved I used to love musical theater and then I moved to Philly I was in like a, a Meisner based acting company oh, slash brilliant, cult um, it really had the whole whenever I see a cult documentary I see the whole trajectory of this acting company from oh, you know wow. worship of the leader leader starts yeah. to have flaws crumbles half the company loves Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For half the company's rebelling chaos. And then what happened to yeah, Meisner's yeah. voice box? Didn't so Meisner was a big smoker. And I, I believe it was, it was cancer. Cancer of the larynx or something. Uh -huh. And so the only real video of him teaching, there's like eight hours out there. They removed his voice box. So he's teaching, he's burping, essentially. Yeah. That's how he's, he's burping every word he does. And he's still smoking while he's doing all this. I watched wow. that during COVID. One of, one of my things during COVID was there was this, it was something like a 12-hour lecture course uh -huh. with Meisner. And he had a whole bunch of students that he takes them through some exercises. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can watch this. But 
he he does ask really interesting questions and obviously yeah. he's like revered by his students you know yeah he's uh he was he was the guy who was into the most my uncle actually studied with him as a teacher and i think there was like he saw kind of the darker side of it i guess meister had like some kind of island he brought some of the male students he preferred oh goodness just, just just okay. for, for some extra acting exercises. Oh, oh, God. Well, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> let's bring it back. So, uh, but I was, I was a big Meisner guy. He's great. He's, he's really great. great. Sometimes you get a lot of like, I don't know how deep in the weeds of acting we go here, but, but you know, the, it, it can be a lot of, I liked it because I like to yell. And a lot of those Meisner exercises, just addressing each other's behavior ends with like, you're pissed. I'm pissed. Yeah. You're pissed. I'm pissed. Yeah. And then every scene becomes just a fight. There's a few moments in that course where he has like a, a duologue going on and he'll, they'll be in the middle of talking and then he'll stop them and he'll go, no, say it again. And the guy will say, whatever, I love you. Go, no, again. And he'll go, I love you. No, again. And he'll, he'll try and get the guy to say it like 20 or 30 times. Yeah. And I guess he's trying to, whatever, stop the guy acting and just kind of say the thing or maybe say it simply or something. But there's there's a few occasions where you can see the actors just turn around going, I, I, I've said it 35 times. What are you looking for? And he's like, again, again, again. I'm like, jeez, okay. It's one of those things with those older acting teachers. Sometimes I can't tell. It's like, am I learning a great acting technique or have I put this person on such a pedestal and they're old and in this case they have this voice that they make you emotional. Like, I, I did a master class with Larry Moss. He's, he's still around. He's still teaching. Right. It's one of those things where he's just like an older guy. He's filling in for my grandpa or my father or something. But eventually they like do that kind of stuff and then you break down crying and you're like, wow, I learned. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh no, when I'm on set, I need an older man around here <laughs> to tell me to repeat the line 30 times. And then when I yeah. get my like one line on Blue Bloods, I'm like, okay, right. we, don't, we don't have that time right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Bills? When you were at college, who were the practitioners that you guys lent to us? I mean, obviously, Stanislavski seems to be standard, right? But was there anyone else? Nah, I, I, I never really bought into all the method stuff, you mm. know, picking a method, I think. You know, it's, for me, it was always just trying to find some truth. And, and, you know, the Stanislavski thing, the only thing that really stuck with me was, I think he did a, a famous sort of exercise where he hides or something and they have to go and find it. And and it was just that thing of like, if you have to find something, just actually look for it. Mm. You don't mm. act that you're looking for something. Mm. Mm. Just look for something. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that the the simplicity of that sort of thing is is really kind of what I was more interested in. I, I never really liked the idea of, you know, a method, I, I am now following this person's. Yeah. Um, as, uh, as you were saying, Gianmarco, that it's, it, it starts to feel like a cult, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And I think in, in it, not just in acting, but in spirituality or religion as well, I think it, if it all gets narrowed down to what one person says, then you're basically then trying to lived the life that they lived that got them to that place. Yeah. But you've lived a different life. So yeah. you're not going to be in the same place. So yeah. you have to kind of 
you know, grab what you can take, but I, I don't, I, I'm not one for saying, oh, I do this method. No, nah, me either. You know. yeah, take, taking bits and pieces seems to be the way. There's a, there's a, mm. a thing that I, I seem to use from Stanislavski quite a bit, which I, I think was called the imaginary if, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. if the scene were to end, what would that person do? I do think about that quite a bit with yeah. my work. So, you know, whatever. If I've had an argument with my wife in a scene and it ends in a crescendo of her saying, I'm going out and she slams the door and the scene ends, I do quite often think, okay, so what would my character now do? Because if we see him in an hour, what has he done in that hour? Did he, did he sit yeah. and meditate and now he's calmer? Yeah. Or did he drink three cups of coffee and when we see him later on, he's anxious and annoyed? So I think I do cherry pick that little thing from Stanislavski. Um, but also the Brechtian stuff slightly confused me because obviously Brecht is all about this is a play, these are performers, these are actors. Yeah, so, yeah. You, you can't do that in TV and film because you can't suddenly... I mean, sometimes you can break the fourth wall, but very often they want you to be that person. You can't be like, hey, here's a cameraman, here's a gaffer, here's a lighting guy. <laughs> mm. you know I, mean? it doesn't I work like, like that, an actor trying to be Brechtian on a film set. <laughs> right, right. I, I we, once, should, once... we should write that. That'd be great. I mean, Mike Myers did it in Wayne's World, right? There's some Brechtian stuff in Wayne's yeah. World where he'll yeah. chat and he'll be like, here's a moment of product placement. Here's the camera, mate, camera guy eating a slice of pizza. That's totally Brechtian stuff. Yeah. Whether he knew that yeah. or not, breaking the fourth wall, you know. You know, I, yeah. I think all these techniques, I think ultimately they're supposed to be discarded. I, I left kind of Meisner and then I went full Strasbourg and I was into that. And right. That was all the emotional stuff. Right. But I think that's because I struggled yeah. with that the most. That I was like, I think the thing you struggle with the most, same with Gary Shanley. That's why he loved acting where you're like, this is it. Right. The thing I can't do, mm, right. that's what I'm most fascinated by. What's better than finding quality candidates? Finding them instantly. For a powerful hiring partner, you need Indeed. Mm -hmm. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like the Indeed Instant Match mm. assessments and virtual interviews. Oh, I, I love that about Indeed. They make everything so easy. It's all in one place because there are things like instant match. Mm. Candidates you invite to apply through instant match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in a search. That's according to US Indeed data. With instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. Indeed does all the hard work for you. Sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. It's true. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit indeed.com slash onion to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash onion. Indeed.com slash onion. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire. You need indeed. Billy, what? I sometimes get a little bit nervous when I'm online yep. buying things. And as we know nowadays, you tend to do most of your shopping online. Yeah, no. We're not going to stores anymore. So you're giving all of your bank details. 
sensitive information sometimes makes me feel a little bit nervous between my family and my business yep. life. I've got enough to worry about. I need the peace of mind of identity protection. But how do I do that? And what protection do I need? Well, how do I know? Well, what you've got to do is check out Allstate Identity Protection, the best of identity protection from a brand that you can trust. So much of life is logging into our digital lives. That's why Allstate developed an identity protection product that protects your digital life just like they do your physical life. Mm -hmm. With Allstate Identity Protection, they'll reimburse up to a million dollars for out-of-pocket expenses, lost wages, and legal fees. They'll also cover money stolen from your bank account, 401ks, HSAs, and tax returns. At Allstate, they've been protecting the things people love for over 90 years. Not only will they monitor to help keep you safe, but should identity theft occur, their US-based customer service identity specialists provide expert support 24-7, 365, with an industry-leading 98% satisfaction score. Nice. Got a big or growing family? You can enroll your entire household under one family plan. That's spouse, kids, parents, in-laws, all for a flat rate that's less than you would pay for two individual plans and without the typical age or residency restrictions of where they live. Think the identity protection your bank provides is enough? Huh. Think again. The reality is that most financial institutions act only after fraud occurs rather than preventing it. Having comprehensive monitoring and coverage from AIP will help stop identity thieves in their tracks before any major damage is done. Hey, Tom, yeah. what I love about Allstate Identity Protection is how easy it is to sign up. I went online thinking, okay, here we go. This is going to take a minute or two. It's so fast, and then you're protected online. It's a great feeling. Yeah, I love that simplification. So when you think identity protection, think Allstate Identity Protection. To find out if your employer offers Allstate Identity Protection, head to AIP.com slash onion. One last time, that's AIP.com slash onion. It sounds like you got, you know, quite deeply into kind of methods of acting and you know, looked at it very closely. So how do you jump from that to stand-up? Or was stand-up always in the background? I, it wasn't always in the background. I think I was like, I was co uh, comedic. Um, uh -huh. I certainly, my generation in America, we we really grew up in high school and uh, Dave Chappelle and Dane Cook were like the stars. Mm -hmm. um, Dave yeah. Chappelle especially. And then... I don't know. You know, I think I ended up writing a play kind of as a vehicle for myself. And the play just had a lot of me talking to the audience, a lot, a lot of uh, direct addresses. And uh -huh. I noticed from the feedback that people were raving about those parts and less about the scenes. And right. uh, I, I just eventually I had a friend who, who saw the play and was like, took me out to lunch and very serious. It was like, you should focus on this. And it's just a different life. I was kind of a, a homebody. And to be a stand-up, you, you are giving up your nights. And I think I knew what it was going to be. If I was going to really be a stand-up, we're talking, at least in the beginning, every single night out doing mm -hmm. spots, three, four, five spots a night if you're really digging in there. And uh, I was very scared. But once I started, I got really hooked. I think I need constant feedback emotionally. I like, if I'm writing something, I, I, I'm always like, can you look at this? Can you look at this? You? And with stand-up, that's what the whole show is. I get immediate right, feedback yeah. about a new line. Uh, 
and oh, that works and oh, that didn't work. And I, I feel very much in the, you feel very much in the throes of the creative process and you get the rewards immediately. And I think real standups get addicted to that feeling where I can go right. somewhere and try something new and know that night if I'm onto something or not. And once you're hooked into that, everything else feels like the idea of writing a novel sounds insane to me to write something this massive and wait. Yeah. And I think you'd, you'd, you'd write a couple of pages and send it to someone. And yeah, it was stand up. I could write a sentence <laughs> and essentially find out if it's good or not. Yeah, so yeah. I think a lot of what stand up is, it's, it's partly about, do you love the art form? But it's partly like emotionally, what is your feedback loop system? And right, uh, yeah. if I do acting now, if I do something more dramatic, I miss, I miss being able to know, did that kill? Did that crush? Did someone cry? But that's right, why, yeah. I, and once I was in, I was in. And, so was uh, that, did that start in New York? Started in New York. So like a lot, a lot of people start in smaller scenes and it's kind of a, when you start in a smaller scene, you, you can become the king of, or queen of that scene very quickly. It you can be the queen. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You can open for big acts that are coming by. New York, you're automatically with some of the best of the best. There's some great stand-ups right. out in L.A., but L.A. is, uh, at least to New Yorkers, will say it's, it's where comedy kind of goes to die. Uh, New York's a little edgy, right? It's just, and, it, and it probably leans into that stand-up comedy vibe a little easier. There's just a little bit more of an edge on the street, a bit of a jumping. Yeah, sort of that's feeling. part of it. But part of it is just we're not dealing with, we're not taking generals during the day. You do you do a show here in LA. There's industry mm -hmm. in the showroom. New York, that's kind of that's not around very much anymore. So you're there to do stand up, mm. and there's a lot in LA that you know. I think there's a lot of big names out here, and and you you start getting busy, and stand up becomes secondary. And the moment the stand up becomes secondary, you can feel it. You can feel it in the specials, and there's it's so rare for stand up comedians to find success and stay sharp. I think. It, it, it's same with music or bands or anyone who becomes successful, but stand-up takes time. You cannot speed it along. Yeah. The George Carlin's of the world mm. stand-up was always the priority. Mm. People like John Mulaney, shockingly, has maintained incredible uh, uh, skill and obviously just must spend time on it. Mm. So that's what happens. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the reputation of folks that go to L.A. for the most part. Let me create a little fictional construct here and see... See if you can answer this question. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Here. Please. Let's say you're in a stand-up club in New York getting ready to go on. Mm. And some guy comes in, never done stand-up before, and they're going to go on for the first time. And they come over to you and they say, this is my first time doing stand-up. What three pieces of advice would you give me? to do or to not do. It's like, like a nightmare situation. I'm like, oh God, yeah, who yeah. let him in the green room? Why, yeah, yeah. How did he get on this show? Why but am I on this show? You, there's, only, there's only the two of you in the green room. You're fine. You're a pro. You're like, look, man, I've been doing this for years. Uh, it's a walk in the park. And they desperately say, it's my first ever show. Please just tell me what are the three golden rules of what I should or shouldn't be doing as a stand-up? Well, the one thing I'll say is that I think because stand-up comics make it seem kind of improvisational, the, the writing, it's too late to give them to be like, well, write well. You right. need to be writing a lot. Stand-up, I mean, I'm a writer stand-up, so I am writing all the time. But if that's gone and this person's got whatever jokes they're going to do, I think there is that, that horribly generic advice of, 
having fun. I believe that unless I'm enjoying it in some capacity, the crowd will not enjoy it too. And that doesn't necessarily mean smile and laugh around, but you have to be enjoying it up there. So that'd be number one. Number two would be like, you have to take in the audience. They're your scene partner, for lack of a better word. You're not going to let them have, hopefully they won't have any lines, but you got to like take in the space that, that you are in and see what's reacting. I, if, if it's a tough show, I will find the people who are digging it and I will feed off their energy or I'll find the people that don't dig it and I'll try to really get them and find excitement in that process. So be happy, have fun. There's, there's taking the room, taking the people. Hmm. And then that writing would be the third one. Right, right. Writing. Go yeah. look at the material in the right. couple minutes you have left before you go on. And then don't follow me. <laughs> That's what I'd say most of all. Let me go before you so I can go home. But we have a lot of that. I mean, it, we have a lot of like uh, fantasy football. People will do their leagues and the loser has to do stand-up comedy. Wow. And nice. they headline a show because they bring 15 of their friends. Yeah. And it really is degrading to have your profession be kind of the the punishment for losing yeah. a fantasy football league. Yeah. No, no one loses a fantasy football league and then has to go play Willie Loman uh, for one night only on Broadway. <laughs> right, right, right. So that's, that's, the stand-up comedy is one of those things where we really dabble in, I feel like, the most disrespect of, of an art form. Yeah. We were very valued at certain times and other times we are treated mm-hmm. uh, like like an animal act in a circus. Do you feel that in, in, in New York there is a sort of, that some comedians sort of eat that up, that they almost like that? Like, you know, you're talking about the LA thing and, you know, you do a, a, you do a night in the right club at the right time in LA and you'll get, you know, you'll have your special or oh, let's come in and talk about what movie you're doing. Whereas it feels like New York comedians, those guys, they they don't want that. They, they're they like, no, I'm going to this club where no one likes me and I'm going to do half an hour here. You know what but I for mean? For sure, like, for sure. I think you, those there's those comedians out there. A cigarette. They, they, who knows, yeah. maybe they got the pilot, you know, their, their TV show with their name on it in the 90s and it it didn't make it to air. But, but you see the comedians yeah. like David Tell who I don't think he performs in places where he's hated, but David Tell is considered one of the like greatest comedians of all time. And he's not doing a lot yeah. of movies or TV shows. Yeah, he doesn't but... have a face for movies, does he? <laughs> but, isn't he? but these guys are the best, <laughs> you know? They're so... Yeah, they're the best. As, as you say, they've taken the time and it's just like everything just builds and builds, you know? The, the, the comedy is so kind of well-structured, mm. you know? And you're like, but it almost seems like they're, they're torturing themselves as they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to you have to kind of want the punishment or the reward of a bit working feels so good. You're willing to deal with the rougher nights. Mm. But once you get addicted, so, what would be ideal for you? What would what like? You, you, it feels to me like you enjoy writing it and 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 polishing it. I say all so the time, the would... best I feel is like when a new bit clicks in. Like, it's great to perform right. and do an hour of everything you know that works, but it's not as right. thrilling as as being able to test something new or fine-tune something new. And that night when it goes, it's in, I did it, it's done. So I just like to be on stage. I, I, I've been starting to headline. So I think the ideal is just 
being able to perform longer sets. I'm tired. New York, you have to hop around, uh-huh. do eight minutes here, 15 here, 10 here. That's exhausting. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, I'd much rather just do an hour a night or, or you know, yeah. a couple hours on the weekend where I get to really explore. Every show you do. In bef- stadiums. Is, sure. Stadiums feel not ideal for, again, like go back to like a play. You, you wouldn't want to do a yeah. long day's journey into the night in Madison Square Garden. That's no. going to be weird. Sporting arenas and stadiums. Mm. Yeah. It's a big event. You know, it's much bigger, the feeling. So I think like you, you do that if you, if you can get to that level. But I think the real joy mm. is like a smaller space. 50, 100, 150 people. It's harder, though. The more famous you get, the more you're known. People start laughing or cheering. And that's like Chris Rock, notoriously, when he goes to the Comedy Cellar, and when they introduce him, people go Yeah, they lose their mind. They lose their mind. Well, I'm Mm. sure a lot of people are sat there going, we love comedy. We we could easily have paid $200 to see Chris Rock. And we're paying $25 to see Chris Rock. Yeah. So I'm sure they're stoked about that. And he's right there. there. I I went there once and it was Chappelle went up and then brought Chris Rock on stage and they just, they just did their thing for an hour and a half. And I just stand in the doorway watching. But once you get that big though, it's tough because like Chris Rock will take down his energy and will really talk. He'll he'll almost purposely like make the audience cool because how else can you test material? Yeah. You can't test material Uh, if everyone's going crazy for you. And he's he's so famous. He can't go anywhere without that kind of love or excitement or or woo. Much more famous now probably, right? Yeah. Well, I mean... That slap, I probably sold out his tour oh, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you've seen the, the Jerry Seinfeld doc comedian, right? Of course. Because I just did Just for Laughs, which was oh, yeah. what that was built around. Right, of course. And uh, Orny Adams was the comedian Orny, featured yeah. in that. It's just a really interesting way to deconstruct not only his act, but also what it means to be a stand-up. Because, you know, at his core, as we were just talking about, you know, obviously he had a hugely successful TV show, but as an actor, he's he's not necessarily the most skilled. It's him as a stand-up comedian where he really moves into his power. So to see him in that documentary, start the show saying, okay, I'm going to completely destroy my act. I have no act. And then you're going to watch me build that act and the process of it and the angst of it, whilst also watching Orny Adams just losing his marbles during that Yeah, film. It's one of my favorite docs ever. It's, I feel like I listened to a, a recent interview with Orny Adams. He was on WTF. And have you, have you seen this, this documentary? Yes. Yeah. And, and so Orny Adams, if you, for those who haven't seen it, like he was yeah. exploding on the scene and he was going to Just for Laughs and I think signed with like William Morris as he's going up yeah. there and everything's coming together. Yeah, he's on magazines and newspapers, blah, blah, blah. But he's, his ego's out of control and then apparently he kind of like bombed his JFL set. So Just for Laughs is like the place where all the industry is watching you. And he just like had a bad set yeah. and didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And I heard I heard while mm. he was on stage not doing well, he like like talked to his agent from the stage. Like, can you believe they don't like me? And the agent was like, if you ever do this again, I will uh, never fucking work. It's just like someone who, it just collapsed. And, and they're making a documentary yeah. about him before reality TV was big. So I think people don't, it was at that time people didn't realize that you could really make yourself look like a monster or an idiot. Yeah. And especially with the editing, make it look yeah. even worse. It's excruciating. But my favorite moment in that entire doc, and I, I actually have used this a few times with, with, with people because it's just, it's just a great way to just have people maybe like check themselves a little bit, is 
Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld is at a comedy store waiting to go on, probably like waiting half an hour or so to go on. And he's in the bar having a club soda or whatever. And then Orny Adams shows up and he's sweating and he's, you know, he's kind of like, he's, you know, rushed to get there. And Jerry's like, hey, how's it going? They obviously know each other. Hey, how's it going, Orny? And Orny's, Orny's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's just, it's, you know, so frustrating. I'm trying to do this and couldn't do a set there. And then I raced across town. I only got eight minutes here. And, you know, then this is going on and I can't get this person on the phone and I want to move to LA, but I don't have time. And, you know, now I've got to do this and I've got to wait. And, you know, you're going to do your set and I have to wait. And Jerry Seinfeld's kind of nodding along. And he lets him finish his thing. And, and then Jerry says, you have somewhere else that you need to be? And then he's like, uh, what do you mean? He's like, if, if there's somewhere else you need to be, you should go do that. Like, yeah. and, and what he's saying is, you're a stand-up comedian. You're waiting in the wings to do your set. This is exactly where you need to be. This is your job. Yeah. And, and you can see him kind of, get, kind of bristle a little bit. And I just, I just love how he called him out in a, in a gentle, kind of playful way. And I've had moments like that with, with actors on set where they're moaning, oh, man, it's cold and weather and I don't like the scene and <laughs> the lunch was rubbish and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to come here tomorrow and the call's at 7 a.m. and stuff. And I'm like, you have somewhere else you need to be? Like, yeah. You dreamt about being an actor when you were eight, nine, ten years old. You're a professional actor. You're doing a great TV show. This is a fantastic role for you. Do you have anywhere else more important that you need to be right now? Because if you do, go do it. Yeah. And Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, have you run into Jerry Seinfeld over the A years? couple times, yeah. So yeah. How, how's his energy? Because he seems very kind of mellow about He's stuff. mellow. I think it's just like... Stand-up is... Stand -up is, is we all have, there's hierarchies with all the systems. So I, Jerry's not the type, we're not going to sit down and have a conversation. Yeah, he's up there, right? He's up there. Mm -hmm. I did a show, it was, it was at a place in New York called Westside Comedy Club and I was hosting a couple years ago and Jerry Seinfeld went on Twitter 30 minutes before, as he'll do, and basically said, uh, doing a set at Westside, that's it. And he tagged Westside Comedy Club here in LA. He tagged the wrong place. <laughs> so Westside in LA had to release a statement saying, Jerry Seinfeld is not coming here tonight. Meanwhile, I'm on stage hosting this show that Jerry's about to go on. And Jerry didn't even issue a full correction. He just tweeted, in New York, period. <laughs> so as I'm hosting, I think on the Upper West Side, uh, uh, people found out. And all of a sudden, I'm hosting and like dozens of yarmulkes, and I'm Jewish, dozens of yarmulkes start pouring in. All the Jews of the Upper West Side start pouring into the venue as I'm hosting. And they're so excited. And so, you know, Jerry gets there. I, I once said every, every, time I, every time I see Jerry Seinfeld, if I come into a comedy club and I see Jerry Seinfeld on stage, I go, I go, wow, I guess I'm going to be uh, going up a couple hours late tonight because that's what it means. Right, right, right. And it very quickly right. turns into, listen, Again, I count your blessings. I, I get to see Chappelle and Chris Rock and Seinfeld. But the moment you see those people, you're like, oh boy, I'm not going up till 1.30 yeah. a.m. tonight. Yeah. Let me text the girlfriend. Yeah. No, no they're, Survivor tonight. They're, yeah, they're mad. You like Survivor? Oh, <laughs> I'm a new, a, a new Survivor. Survivor is my all-time favorite TV show. I, it started over the pandemic. So I've seen like five seasons, the last two, and then three or four Oh my in God, the past. We, could, we could sit here for another three oh hours. Oh my God. I love Survivor. I'm friends with Jeff Probst, the <gasps> host. Oh. Uh, He's, That's so cool. He's a he's a really wonderful guy. He and his wife Lisa. And you'd be um, good on that show, right? You could yeah, do that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. They've been trying to do a kind of whatever. I don't like this word celebrity survivor for you a long time. I mean, 
they've, I mean, it's been like 10 years that they've been trying to do it. And Jeff's sure. always been like, if we, if we put it together, would you do it? And I'm like, dude, you're a buddy. Of course, if, if it was something helpful, I, I would do it. And there's a lot of people in the public eye that are huge Survivor fans. Oh my God. But unfortunately, and we're hoping to have Jeff on the podcast, and I think, I think we will at some point. Unfortunately, because we've explored this as well, he's like, I think it kind of breaks the show. Because if we do a celebrity Survivor show, it's going to be very hard then for people to tune in and go, well, wait, we wanted to see this actor who we like and this singer that we like and this, you know, musician that we like. We're not as interested in seeing, you know, people who, you know, are not in the public eye. I think, I mean, I'm going to like go off a little bit now. I think it's an extraordinary show because you have the construct of the show, which is like who is going to be the sole survivor. Yeah. And they base it around obstacle courses and brain teasers and all this kind of stuff, so, the social game. But then you've also got multiple games happening inside the game because the social game throws a lot of people off and then maybe you have a, a love connection or yeah. two friends that betray each other. And ultimately, you all have to betray each other. Yeah. So you've got 20 people saying, listen, I'm never going to betray you. But to win the game, you have to betray 19 people and then they have to vote and say, we're okay that that person betrayed us. Well, that's what's I amazing is like, sometimes they'll be like, you know, you lied and it's like, well, yeah. It's the game. But some people, they they lie in a way that people respect. That's yeah. what's interesting. Yeah. Some people lie in a way that people go, you know what, I respect it. And yeah. other people lie in a way where they go, you're a snake yeah. and I'm never voting for you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I could deal with, and I feel like the earlier seasons focused on this, just the eating of wild animals. Yeah. They, in like season one, they caught a rat. And I am in New York. I see rats all the time. Sure. And I remember seeing rats. And every time I saw <laughs> them for a while, I was like, could I? Yeah. Could I catch that giant rat and, yeah. eat and kill it and then eat it? And I'm like, There's certain I things that know. throw people off. I'm okay with stuff like that. I struggle with heights. I'm not great up uh -huh. high. Uh -huh. And if you expose yourself to that thing, then obviously at some point in the show, they're going to be like, okay, you're going to walk across a tightrope that's, you know, 80 feet in the air. And yeah. then you're going to climb a ladder that's, you know, goes up for like another 100 feet just to see how you do. Uh, that that would kind of throw me off a little bit. All the other stuff is fine. Jeff Probst is pretty tight with Boston Rob. Do you know who Boston Rob is? Uh -huh. Because I think Jeff kind of feels like Boston Rob is arguably the greatest survivor player ever. I, I probably think he's he's definitely in the top three. And I've spent a little bit of time now with Boston Rob, with Jeff. And he is a really adept social, um, what's the word? Not manipulator, like engineer. Do you yeah. know what I mean? He, yeah. He's a lovely guy, but in a social situation, he makes sure that everyone feels like they've been seen and taken care of. He re-kind of connects with people if it's been a little bit of time. And there's been times where I've thought, man, I can understand how you would win Survivor. Everyone feels like they're seen by you, yeah. acknowledged, and then... He's like, you want that last piece of chicken? They're like, oh, you want it? And he's like, yeah, I'll take it. And then he just takes it. And you're like, okay, I get it. I, I actually gave Billy my favorite ever season of Survivor. And you, you've watched a few seasons, right, Bills? No, I've, oh, I've never actually saw a season. Oh, watch. I've, I've watched a couple of episodes. I love it. Uh, but yeah, no, I, and, and I, I need to apologize that you did give me your favorite ever um, season, season of it. And I lost it. He lost it. <gasps> yeah, he lost. Oh, D it. oh DVD. Yeah. We're talking about DVDs right now. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It's all on Paramount Plus now. Um, 
it was fans versus yeah. favorites. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. So if so, so now you, you're not necessarily doing it in order, right? Yeah, you're just I jumped back. around. Did, and, did you do like best season of Survivor ranks type thing? I did. Yeah, I had. I have friends who like. I had a friend who like made a document of where to start, and they talk about like. They say the Australia Survivor is tremendous. It is. It's great. It's, and there's like a New Zealand. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. I don't think it's so Zealand. much. If there was ever another pandemic, yeah. which probably. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think I could consider like, let's just do it all. Yeah, yeah. Let's just do it all. Well, check out my my favorite one and a lot of people's favorite one seems to be uh, fans versus favorites. So you've got... Favorite people coming back. Yeah. And then super fans going up against them. There's a really interesting guy in that called Rupert. He kind of looks like an old grizzled kind of pirate. Rupert from the from oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I just watched he's got like I a just beard watched the pirate guy, season. Talks like he's amazing. Yeah. He was like they voted him off, but he was amazing. He's a lovely guy oh. and, he, and he has a really fun season on that. That's fun. Talking of which, it says in your bio that you do a fantastic Jeff Goldblum impression. Mm, yes. Uh, I got a couple. Uh, I always got him. <laughs> what it was, Jeff, I, I'm sure you've met him. He, he, mm. so, so, he's Jewish. You, and you also slightly look like him, right? Mm, Which helps. I, I, I think a little more than slightly. I, I try to distance it now. But if I, you know, mm, yes. And uh, <laughs> I think Jeff, so, like, uh, if you look at, like, the Woody Allen type, you know, he has the, the, the stutter. Sure. And Jeff somehow took the Jewish stutter and he mm, he elongated it <laughs> and somehow made it sexy. And uh, it's pretty, it's an incredible uh, contribution to the Jewish culture. I, I love it. He also, he's a, quite an accomplished jazz musician, right? He's very, is, very it, is it piano that he plays? Piano. Or? He tap dances. Tap dances. He does a show. I, I've never met him. I played him. I, I was in this uh, Billy Crystal movie where it's like a SNL type show and right. I did a Jeff Goldblum impression on that show and I was like, God, how do I get this back to Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Just so I can play his son and something. I think I did meet him once on at some show and that thing that you did with his hands is, is very interesting, Jeff Goldblum thing. But what it feels like to me with Goldblum when I watch him is because he's so well-versed in jazz as mm. a musician and he's aware that jazz is an element of just keeping things going, you know, keeping the piano going, keeping the instrument moving, kind of, um, you know, waiting to see what the other players are going to do. And in the meantime, just keeping everything going. It feels like when he speaks, that's what he's doing. He's just uh, like, mm, you asked me a question. Well, let me think here. I'm going to go here. Mm. So all those little and notes that don't really make sense, yeah. but mm. they had. Very, uh, that's very good, man. Billy and Dom eat the world. Welcome once again to Billy and Dom eat the world. Now, Gianmarco mm. Soresi, is that would that be a correct pronunciation? Would you say Soresi? But Soresi is is so close. Soresi, like crazy. Soresi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Right. So that to me doesn't sound like a Japanese name. You could correct me if I'm no, wrong. You're, you're, you're right on. Would you be Italian? Italian, but just a little. My dad exaggerated it. My mom's my mom's Jewish, but my dad right? my dad acted raised me as if I were 100 percent Italian. Mm. And then one day I I, okay. I went to Italy and I said, "Where's where's the family?" And uh, he had trouble naming any. They they exist. 
They exist. Over the pandemic, someone from Sicily, a distant cousin, reached out. Oh, lovely. To talk about my my great-grandpa Luigi, who was like a manager for boxers. Uh, so, yes, but more Jewish. Or, or even, even um, Jewish food. You're giving us noodles, uh, ramen noodles. Ramen noodles. Well, uh, my, my, my parents got divorced when I was uh, uh, just a babe. And when you uh-huh. have a single dad, um, one dish that is heavily relied on is uh, ramen. Mm. And so for me, if I'm thinking about my culture, it is a culture of single fathers. I went back and forth, but at my dad's, this is what I ate mm. every single day. Mm. And this is part of my, my heritage in its own way. And was it like, was it like this sort of top ramen? That is exactly what it was. Oh, I love top ramen. Exactly what it was. It is incredibly tasty, isn't it? Oh, it's the best. Billy, have a look on the the back of that packet. Have a look at how much sodium. Sodium. (laughs) This is why it's so tasty. Look how much, I think it's something like 40 or maybe 50% of your daily sodium is in that one thing. So let's have a look at how much sodium's in this, Dom. Sodium, there is 1,590 milligrams, which is 69% of your daily, uh, <laughs> what you need. So, so a couple of packets of this. So if I, of had, if I had day. two of those a day, that's too much. Yeah. So yeah. almost 70% that's of the salt that you much. should be eating is in that tiny little packet, which makes it super tasty. But uh, top ramen. It's hard to beat top ramen. The best. What are you having, Bill? Are you having top ramen or are you having something else? Because we're having... No, because I, I wanted to get top ramen because yeah, my son uh, when we my son was growing up, he he loved top ramen, and uh, but only if my wife made it. He said that she made it better oh, than me, well. which is kind of weird mm. because there's not much to the making of mm. it. You would mm. think. So I got this one because I could just throw some um, throw some uh, boiling water Perfect. in it, and then it's ready to go. But uh, what have you guys We've got? We've got like a fresh ramen, which is. Very, very difficult to eat. But thick noodles, very thick noodles. This very is definitely thick thicker, noodles. thicker than what you got there. Mm. They're all, they're all, they're all kind of cut I think, together. Well, you you guys got like fancy? Is it like expensive noodles? You I guys don't know. I think it looks pretty nice. Oh, it's but actually tasty once you get hold of it. It's at a nice, nice room temperature. Just a little bit of warmth, echoes of warmth. I'm assuming ramen has its own kind of scene vibe in New York City, right? It's kind of mm. a go-to thing. Yeah, is you feel like you get night? some authentic. Kind of late night after the comedy club ramen yeah, vibes. That's, yeah, that's the perfect meal to have. Mm. It's super yummy. And uh, I think when you eat it, you're supposed to suck in some oxygen. Oh, I. Well, I watch a lot of like yeah, so, anime and manga. I, I read manga and watch yeah. anime. And like in all the anime, all the characters, they really, they bring it up. Mm. They're slurping it. It's mm-hmm. an aggressive eat. Mm. And I do like that. I feel like in America, you're, you're not supposed to sip from the bowl. I still sip from the ball. Yeah, I, give I like that too. You, no, you you need the oxygen. You need that. Oh, really lovely, lovely. Like, mm-hmm. a, true, like a true professional. I've been threatening, and it tastes better. Yeah, it does taste better because you've oxygenated it. I've been threatening with myself to watch this animated film on HBO for a few nights now. I've still got still not got around to it. It's called Bella. Did you see this thing? No. I think Billy, you'd like this too. Watch the trailer. It's about a girl who, when she kind of gets herself into the virtual reality metaverse, her superpower, if you will, 
is her ability to sing. She has an angelic voice that like completely throws people off and, and has people do things for her. So um, it's kind of a half anime, half musical, mm. which uh, I remember thinking, gosh, Billy will love this. And supposedly the visual kind of graphics and um, computer-generated images are insane. I've been trying to watch it for the last three nights and I keep getting distracted playing video games instead, but I'm going to watch it. Sure. <clears throat> Um, and I think you'd love it, Bills. HBO. Bella. It sounds good. Mm. Bella, I'll watch that. Sean Marco. Oh, geez. Just lost my um, headphones. Do you still sing? Mm. It sounds like the, the musical theater world has destroyed your love. <laughs> I love it in its own way. I, I, I sing in the, in the shower. And I was like, I probably do more vocal warm-ups than any stand-up comedian in the world does because it just feels like home. <laughs> A lot of scales. I love it. I hope someday I can succeed enough as an actor that they they put me in a musical even though I'm not qualified anymore. Mm. That's, you know, just like a a Mamma Mia 10 by that point, I would think. There's a couple musicals I would like. I think you'd be brilliant. I would love to do. Do you musical theater? Any any favorites? Well, as a kid growing up, obviously you do the, well, in Britain at least, it seems you do the standard kind of Oliver, Wizard of Oz, Bugsy Malone, um, which I did all those, Artful Dodger, Tiny Tim, Scarecrow. Um, Billy actually turned my head to musicals as a grown-up. I was very snobby, to be honest about it. I was like, ah, musicals, not really my thing. I'm into more kind of, you know, kind of realistic acting without breaking into song. And Billy's like, well, you're kind of missing out because there's some incredibly emotional things to watch out there. Yeah. And Billy kind of kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me to go see Le Miserable, which I did in London. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize how much I was missing out. (laughs) And since then I've seen, you know, Matilda and Billy's in New York. He just saw Book of Mormon. And you've seen Hamilton tonight, Bill's. Book of Mormon was fantastic. So good. I have to, I have to applaud the um, cast. It was is one of the best casts I've ever seen Ooh. on stage. There wasn't a there wasn't a weak link. Mm. They were absolutely amazing, and the energy and the, it was just. I was very very impressed. Those guys are geniuses. Have you seen the South Park movie way way back a long time ago? The bigger longer uncut thing. Yeah, the, the one which where, was a musical. Yeah, and yeah. Stephen Sondheim wrote them and said, Stephen Sondheim wrote them and said this is the best musical of the year. Wow, ever. I mean, they they really respect uh, the craft. They love musicals. They're don't astounding. They? Yeah, they're, they're astounding. Very very funny. And then you're off to see Hamilton tonight, Bills, Brilliant. which has one of my favorite emotional songs in it. Um, is it called Uptown, where they move? They, remember they move Uptown his, after his... Have you seen Hamilton before, Bill? No, oh, I've not seen it. Oh, really? Town. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Oh, it's called It's Quiet yeah. Uptown, right? Uh-huh. So, is it? A, uh, yeah, well, you tell me tonight, Bill. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a song in it called It's Quiet Uptown. My God, incredible. Well, I'm going to read... Uh, oh, Bill, do you want to read this first blurb about ramen so that we can see if we can... Uh, that, well, I mean... people interested. As... Uh, as is um, Derriguer for um, our Johnny, he's given us quite a lot, um, but I'm not sure if any of it makes much sense. Well, I like the... But let's, let's have yeah, a go. Yeah, try the first paragraph. It's all right. The origins of modern ramen. 
The first Chinese noodles served in Japan weren't called ramen at all. Mm. They were known as Shina Soba. Shina is an archaic Japanese word for China, and soba was a catch-all term for any noodles found in Japan at the time, though it usually referred to buckweed noodles. Because of its offensive connotations, the word Shina eventually fell out of use and was eventually replaced by ramen, which likely came about from the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese term liamen. The word liamen comes from la, which means pulled, and mian, which means noodles. Pulled noodles. Wonderful. There you are, Tom. Well, I thought that was very, very good. And then I'm just racing through some of this stuff yeah. now. Um, says ramen really became mainstream. In 1958, courtesy of Momofuku Andu, inspired by his decade-old memories that makeshift of, of a makeshift ramen stand, he believed the cheap working-class meal was a perfect fit for Japanese pantries. It's kind of become, for me at least, one of the things that I have as a little bit of an emergency thing in my, in my cupboards. Do you know uh-huh, what I mean? Uh-huh. Because if worse comes to worse and you need that midnight snack, or you've, you know, you've you've forgotten to go get eggs or something. You're like, oh, I've got nothing in the house. There's always a few packets of ramen in the back there. And you think, oh, I'll just quickly have some. That's in the bomb shelter for sure. It lasts mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. I've moved where I've moved like a second time. And I'm like, I'm moving this ramen to a third location. Because mm. I've just had it forever. Wow. Just as a backup. Yeah, that's great. So let, let's have a look at, like, this packet that I've got just now is okay until the 10th of June 2023. Yeah, that's 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 all right. It could go further than that. I think it could go further than that as well. I mean, it's a dehydrated noodle, right? So what? There's nothing that's going to go. But we don't know how long that's been sitting in the CVS. You're right. That that could have been there. That could have been in there since you know, since the war. Mm. There's like a there's a picture of Nixon on the front. There's we like to give it scores, and uh, how we do the scores here is we give it out of um, ten, and you're allowed decimal points, and the first thing we score it on. Is taste. Mm, let me get a little bit more. So, um, first things first, what is the taste score out of 10? Well, Billy... Gianmarco, I, I think you should go yeah, first. Yeah, let's have Gianmarco go first. But, Billy, can I just ask, what is the actual flavour of that ramen pot that you're eating? Because I think ours was just a veggie sweet ramen. Sweet chilli, Dom, that's a sweet chilli. Mine is a sweet chilli style. Stir-fry. It's... um. On the hot scale, it's only got one pepper. <laughs> Not that hot, then. Yeah, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, flavor, flavor out of ten. Uh, well, at first I say it was delicious. I was I was thankful for the meal. Mm. Uh, it was it was Good. it was kind of the base. Like this is the ramen. You want to add some stuff to it. Yeah, a bit of spice. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it definitely it had it had the the ramen base, but uh, definitely not. I like a little sting. Mm. I like a couple peppers on there. Okay. I like to have a ramen meal. Yeah, you meal. want a few peppers. Yeah, I like a ramen meal that like it would be tough to continue the podcast as I was eating it. That I was in so much pain. Yeah. Do you do you add stuff like mo- that momofuku, that chilies? Some chilies. Chilies in there. in there. I'll add an egg. I love an egg. Well, lovely. Uh, yeah, stick an egg on it. Slightly soft boiled, so it yeah. just kind of leaks into the sauce a little bit. Mm. I mean, when I eat cup of noodles as a kid, I would just douse it in Tabasco sauce. It was the spiciest meal. Mm. And I would be crying by the end. Yeah, I like my ramen sometimes to make me sweat. Yeah. Mm. 
Ah, sweaty ramen. Sweaty so ramen. So this wasn't a sweaty ramen, so maybe you'd dock a few points for that. Yeah, I would dock a few points. But it definitely felt like this would be a good starting place. So out of 10. And you can give decimal points if you want. Yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it a I'll give it a 7.2. Okay, 7.2. Wow, that's probably yeah. what about you, Bills? I mean, yours is different from ours, so. Yeah, well, if we're if we're if we're scoring this mm. one, like it's not it's not as good as my usual ramen. But I'm still I'm still gonna give it a 7.5. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very positive. Dom. Very positive, that William Boyd. Um, yeah, I'm about the same as you. So I'm like, I, like, I like it to be... I like there to be a, 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 a combination of flavours. Some dried onion, maybe some spring onion, an egg, a little mm-hmm, bit more tofu, mm-hmm. some spice. It's a seven for me. My, my girlfriend, she'll add some corn. Oh, and yeah. I do love corn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, corn's good. Have you seen that l- new clip? I think it was on TikTok, which Billy's obsessed with, about the little kid whose favorite thing in the world is corn. Have you seen no, that? what is he saying? It's just so cute. I don't, they seem to be at a fair or something, and this guy's obviously hit upon this great opportunity to talk to this kid who is over the moon about corn. And the guy's like, Why do you like <laughs> corn? And the kid's like, What's not to like? You put butter on it, it's amazing, it's super tasty, it's good for you, it's healthy. It's my favorite thing ever. You can put it in your pocket. He like puts it in his pocket and takes it out. <laughs> that's yeah. the real plus. It's like, transport. It's, it's yeah, that's the plus. It's, I've had a, I had some friends from Australia and when they visited me in America, they were shocked because they don't really do corn over there. Oh right. I don't think because wow. corn, you know, it's it's uh I think it's American. We are maize is huge over here. And they were they yeah. were like the fact that it was served as a side on its own shocked them. I was saying to Billy, I've said this before. Why is it called corn on the cob and then loose corn is called corn? Surely the way that it comes au naturel should be called corn and they should call the other stuff corn off the cob. Corn off the cob, sure. That should be, because the the way that it shows up in real life should be the base level. That should be corn. Yeah. And then you're like, how are we serving the corn tonight? Oh, we're having corn off the cob. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Sure, sure. It's weird to do it the other way around, but anyway... Uh, wait, what was that? What's our second category, Bills? Aesthetics oh. or looks? How does it look to you? Is it? Is it? You know, does it get the juices oh, going? Is what we're saying. To Robin's tough to when go. You have a look Robin's at tough it. to go. It's all just becomes a clump in there. A little bit. So, so in terms of, it's not the worst. This was a good. This was a good bowl. Like in terms of uh, mm-hmm. for a takeout bowl. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I gotta, I mm-hmm. gotta give it, give it a, give it a five. Yeah. When it's in Five that when it's in that wooden bowl and you got that spoon, I don't even really use the spoon, but just having that weird shaped spoon, that big yeah, oval like spoon, that. that's a good feeling. And like you said, if there's an egg in there and it's, it's kind of orangey and maybe not fully cooked and yeah. it's kind of leaking into mm. the soup, and then you got spring onions and all that kind of stuff, color. The cool thing about the noodles here is that they're kind of like a nice kind of spinachy green, and I like it. But yeah, ramen generally is not necessarily the best presented meal. I'm going to give it, I'll be kind. I'll give it a six. That's nice. I, and I also like, I like to do like pretend as if I'm going to use chopsticks and then after three bites go, no, yeah, I'm going to just use a fork. <laughs> Bills, how's yours? I, I like, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, a higher score because I, I agree that it's not, maybe not the nicest looking thing, but I think when you look at it, you you know it's going to be okay. 
this meal's going to be okay. It could be fantastic, mm. but it's going to be okay. Mm. You know, so, so I'm going to stay aesthetic because it does get my juices going, Tom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a... Uh, Eight. Oh, William. Ooh, nice goes. It's one of my favourite versions now, guys, of Billy is when his juices get flowing. <laughs> exactly. The next one, which I think, I, I'm feeling as if it could score quite high mm. here, is how useful is mm. it when it's in the cupboard and, you know, maybe all you've got is that, an egg, a couple of chilies, maybe you've got a breast of chicken, I don't know what's, you know, but how useful is ramen in your life? I I got to give that a 10, especially when I think Whoa, about the money because it is cheap. Yeah. It's cheap. It is, I think, for, yeah. for bang for your buck, nothing yeah. nothing beats ramen. Yeah. Like, it's stupidly yeah. cheap, isn't yeah, it? There. Like, you get you get a box of it for, like, five bucks. Or yeah. Like, how, how do they make money? What is it made? What is yeah. it? It's almost made of nothing, isn't it, really? And And like Billy said... You can add so many things to it. It can be. It can just be a side dish if you want. You can have your food, yeah. and then you can serve it almost like a pasta or a rice. Or you can have the ramen actually be the whole meal, and you just put a whole bunch of veggies and meat in there. And probably one of the most perfect nuclear fallout shelter yeah. things to have, right? And if you stick extra water in it, you've made yourself a soup. Don't oh, exactly. <laughs> I like that. You can put it in a thermos. You can have it dry. You can have it wet. Yeah. No, Dom, it's, it's got to be high. It's got to be a high score, and I'm going to give it a 9.8. Wow, almost a perfect score. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm in the same place. I'll, I'll say, um, I mean, the liquidy thing, my thing is always like, can you put it in your pocket and take it to a football game? With it being liquid. <laughs> Does you love corn then? That's why you like corn That's so much? That's why I like corn. You just, oh, yes. <laughs> um, it's not quite as perfect for travel. Although in a thermos, it's amazing. I'll give it a nine. I'll give it a nine. Well, I think that's good. There's high scores all round for your uh, for your top ramen. I will, Lovely uh, stuff. Have you ever been to Japan, John Marco? I'm dying to go. I have not. So the only thing that I will say in terms of ramen in Japan, and then obviously coming back here, is it almost spoils it here because the ramen in Japan is so good. Yeah. They do something, whether it's with the water or with the noodles, and there's a lot of places where you can you show up and before you go into the restaurant, there's a kiosk and a, a kind of electronic kiosk, similar to something that in, in the States you might get a, a can of fizzy soda out of or, or a candy bar. And you click, you know, I want ramen with extra noodles, two eggs, spring onion, blah, blah, blah. Then you walk into the restaurant and you sit at a booth and then a little slide opens. And then they push it through. There's no staff, nothing like that. I love it. And that ramen, like when I went to do wild things, we had all these opportunities to go to different places. And every night we'd just be like, should we just go back to that ramen place? Because it was unbelievable. So it almost <laughs> ruins it in Japan because it's so good. So you need to be conscious of that. You know? Yeah. But You should do a tour. Oh, maybe the dream. You should get over there. I'm, I'm working. I think they think. Working. Yeah. Get big enough. You could maybe do it in Japanese. Sure. I might take about a while. Sure. You know, it take <laughs> yeah. quite a lot of work, I yeah, think. A couple of it's years. tough. Mm. Stand up in other languages. I mean, I know people who are bilingual and still don't necessarily mm. do language in the other, their second language because mm-hmm. it's it's just hard. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the the syntax is different. So especially like mm-hmm. 
comedically, I mean, it's it's kind of a dumb but obvious rule where like the funny part of the twist is at the end. Right. And you have a you have a language yeah. where you do the adjectives after the noun right, or right. anything like that. It changes it. Yeah. Changes it. Well, do you know Eddie Izzard? I'm sure you do, right? Yeah. Eddie yeah. Izzard does a show in, I believe, French, Spanish, Russian, Arabic, Italian. I mean, just an oh, and that's just a genius. I mean, I, I do. I think can't Eddie speak Izzard, a single other. <laughs> Eddie Izzard does have an element of of genius to to their personality, but that is, like you said, to 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 be crazy. funny, but then also to understand the construct of the language to be able to be funny in a different language, not just to be understood, but to be funny. That is extraordinary. Man. Yeah, what a talent. Well, Jan Marco, it's been amazing to have you on. Is there anything in particular really that you fun. want to tell people out there in terms of? Where they can see you or what you want yeah. to Yeah. Uh, well, find me online at John Marco Cerezi on all the platforms. If you want to see me live, that's where I post my tour dates and all that jazz. Uh, I have a podcast called The Downside, mm. where I interview folks about, uh, we, we celebrate the negativity. We, we find oh. that, you know, we have people complain and kvetch, to use a, a Jewish word. So it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, an opportunity for people to come on and talk about the things that get on their nerves. Oh, yeah. Oh, fun. And sometimes we have, you know, particularly, we, we just had it. someone who, who worked at a morgue and, you know, talked about the downsides, of which there are many, of working at a morgue. No, there must be. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. So it's it's a fun, uh, if, if, you, if you like that kind of stuff, if you like to complain and bitch and moan, come listen to that, The Downside with oh, Jamarco Cerezi. We'd on love to. I'll come on and I'll talk about um, people having the clicky button on their phone on that's the kind of stuff we love what to talk is, about what is that about well, who is that click for you know you're typing so you don't need the click are you telling other people that you're typing yeah my mom and dad do it all the time so we're sat watching something i just hear my mom and dad in the back go going who's that for sure it's, it's it makes no sense i actually think that the phone itself should just take it out it shouldn't be an option anymore I don't understand why we need it. I think that it just, it's its nostalgia. Ugh. It's nostalgia. And I see the ways that the, now that I'm getting older and, and the, the things that I do miss, like, for example, I think about all the time how menus have kind of gone away. They have, yeah. And I miss mm. menus. But I feel like if you were to explain it to someone who never had menus, they'd go, you want a dirty piece of paper mm -hmm. that's been passed around? And mm -hmm. I'm like, yes. Mm -hmm. And for your parents, that's it's that's, that sound. Maybe it's that. And one of the things uh, I hate is uh, people who leave before the end of a conversation, but I'm going to be that guy because I'm off to see Hamilton. Yes. yes. Brilliant. And I'll miss my ticket. Have a fantastic time. <laughs> Say hello to the family, Bills. We'll see you sometime soon. Hey, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Obviously, you know how to get hold of us um, on our YouTube channel, and you can... Send messages on our voicemail. That's uh, the Friendship Onion at speakpipe forward slash... Oh, I've got it wrong. What is it, John? Speakpipe.com forward slash the Friendship Onion. Did they hear that, John, or do I need to repeat it? They absolutely heard it. <laughs> um, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. Uh, let us know anything in particular that you want us to eat, or maybe a guest that you think would be great on the show. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to do a fan art special episode. So if you send in all your fan art now for the next few weeks, we're going to pool it all together and Billy and I will sit around and we'll open up the fan art and we'll hopefully put it on some of this negative space that we have behind us here. I can't do the hand thing because it's backwards. Here, above me here and above John Marco's head. We'll put all of your work here. So send us in your fan art. We'll put the address of the studio in the show notes and we'll see you guys next week. Toodles! Toodles!
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.